0: At this time, um, as we prepare, we're going to go into uh, the sermon here Pastor Tony's going to be preaching. Um, I'm going to go ahead and I want to read from the scripture just to the text that he'll be working from today. Um, So if you have your Bibles or your phones, or if you want to just read off the screen, you're welcome to, but could you stand? And we're going to read just the scripture here for today. Given your your exercise today, right? Get your squats in. So uh, today's text comes from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 10 and beginning in verse 12. And it says, and now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? He requires you to fear him, to live according to his will, to love and worship him with all your heart and soul, and to obey the Lord's commands and laws uh, that I am giving you today for your own good. The highest heavens and the earth and everything in it all belong to the Lord your God. Yet the Lord chose your ancestors as the objects of his love, and he chose you, their descendants, above every other nation, as is evident today. Therefore, cleanse your sinful hearts and stop being stubborn. The Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords. He is the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and takes no bribes. He gives justice to orphans and widows. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. You too must show love to foreigners, for you yourself were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and worship him and cling to him. Your oaths must be in his name alone. He is your God, the one who is worthy of your praise, the one who has done mighty miracles that you yourselves have seen. When your ancestors went down into Egypt, there were only 70 of them. But now the Lord your God has made, a, made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we once again thank you for today. God, I thank you for uh, just every person here in this place, every single person online. And God, I pray, Lord, just again, that your word would truly go forth today. God, that our hearts would be prepared to receive what you have. God, I thank you for anointing Pastor Tony, uh, God, to, to preach your word today in, in such a way, Lord, that it is truly from your heart to our ears. And God, that it would uh, take root, Lord, in us and change us. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dell. And if you didn't see the squash outside, there's some squash uh, in a little bucket outside in the. Um, okay, I'm having a little bit of issue here, um, but uh, one of our faithful church members brought us some squash today. So, uh, and today's a big game today, Pastor Dell. You didn't uh, didn't mention that, but his Lions are playing the Bears. And I, uh, uh, who would win in a lion or a bear in a fight? What do you guys think? Uh, uh, so, uh, I have a, I have a little riddle for you. Where is the only place? Uh, where is the only place that lions play golf? The only place that lions play golf is just in the fields. There you go, there you go. That was a little bit of a football joke for insiders who know what's going on here and the fields of Soldier Field, so there you are. So I'm excited about, um, I'm really excited about uh, this trunk or treat that we're gonna do. And I, I, it's funny that he mentioned Captain America. I think uh, I dressed up as a, 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 the Dodgers fan and I was hoping this year J- uh, Pastor Dell will dress up as my buddy Justin Turner on the Dodgers. But my all time favorite uh, costume for Halloween was my sister, when I was young, back in the 70s, and back when the Planet of the Apes was a big thing for me, I'm dating myself, um, but uh, they, uh, my sister got this authentic ape suit that was just, I, it just, I remember being a little kid and just seeing her, because she's like 10 years, almost 10 years older than me. I remember just being able to just see her, but it was one of those authentic ape suits, not just a mask, but it just looked so real, but it was also the body, the hair, and everything, and it looked so real. And uh, long after she moved away, I kept that mask and I used it quite regularly. It's like we're having a little bit of an issue here, but hopefully that'll get fixed. Um, yeah, so it was, it, was, uh, it was just a lot of fun to do that. And uh, it reminded me of one of my favorite stories about the guy who was desperate for a job. And he was looking around for, for work. And he, um, he <laughs> the local zoo had just lost their gorilla, had just died. And, uh, and so they, were, they couldn't get another gorilla and the gorilla was like a big draw. And so they had bought this expensive uh, gorilla suit and this guy applies for a job at the zoo and they're like, we want you to dress up in the gorilla suit. And, uh, and, 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 just, and he's like, what? You know, he's like, yeah, just, just, just sit there, kind of in the back, don't do anything, just make it look you know, like you're, you're, you're real, like you're authentic, and you're like an actual monkey. And so he was like so desperate for a job, so he takes this, he puts this thing on, really hot, sitting in the back, and, and just kind of like there. And he notices as people start to come by, they're looking at him, and you know, kids bang on the window, which you're not supposed to, and they're trying to get him to do stuff. And finally, he starts doing things. You know, he starts, you know, you know playing with the peanuts and, and feeding himself peanuts and kind of, you know, and, and moving around. And the more he moves around, the more people get excited. And he's just kind of like, and pretty soon he starts jumping around and everybody's like cheering. And, uh, and then he starts climbing things, you know, and he starts climbing. And, and there's like this vine and he literally gets on the vine and he starts swinging on the vine. And all the people are kind of like cheering, the kids are all excited. And uh, literally, he swings so far that he goes over the edge, out of the ape terrain, into the lion's den. And he, he lay, lands there, and all, he, sees, he sees this lion just sitting there, just ready to pounce on him. And he starts jumping up and down. I'm not a gorilla. I'm, I'm a human in a suit. And he's trying to, he's like, help me, help me, help me. And immediately the lion pounces on him and says, shut up, or you're going to both get us fired. <laughs> <laughs> I love that story because, uh, you know, a lot of times, <laughs> a lot of times, you know, uh, things appear on the outside to be real, but on the inside, you know, they're fake. And uh, we, we, we you know, I think that really appeal, appears, that's very relative to us and faith and Christianity. You know, no matter how much we try to go through the motions like Pastor Dell was just talking about, and we act like a Christian, and we do the Christian things, eventually what's on the inside will come out. And sometimes it's in our worst moments, it's in our most scary, our scariest moments that we find, you know, where our faith lies. And uh, hopefully we are not a bunch of people just dressed up this morning as Christians on the outside, but on the inside. And, uh, you know, when he went over the edge, he had no idea what was going to transpire. And this morning, my sermon today is called Living on the Edge. And, uh, you know, I've said this many times. One of the reasons why our student ministry is called Edge is because I believe that our students are on the edge of actually figuring out whether they are going to trust Jesus Christ and live for him. Is he really true? And so though a lot of our kids have grown up in the church, I don't assume that they're Christians because I believe that a lot of times in church we act the part, but we don't actually go over the edge and trust God. And I chose Deuteronomy 10 for a few reasons this morning because the people that Moses is speaking to are on the edge. They're on the eastern shore of Moab and they're about to go into the land of, Can- land of Canaan, the promised land. They're on the edge of a whole new life that God has promised to them. Now, just a little bit of a background with Deuteronomy. I know uh, our men are going to be doing a men's Bible study in the book of Deuteronomy starting this Tuesday night. So those of you who are not in a life group, I want to encourage you guys to check that out. I think it's on Zoom primarily, but um, uh, they're going to be starting the book of Deuteronomy. And the book of Deuteronomy is basically Moses' last words, his final three sermons to the people of Israel. And he's preaching really to the, to the generation that grew up in the wilderness, If you remember, they were ready to go into the promised land in the book of Numbers. God God delivered them, probably around 1440 B.C., most scholars would say, delivered them out of the hands of Egypt. They saw the miraculous things, but they tested God. They did not believe him. And when he said to go into the land of Canaan, they sent in the 12 spies, remember that? And only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, came back and said, we can do this. The other 10 were like, no, we can't. They're too big. They we're like grasshoppers in their eyes. And because of their lack of faith, God had them wander. The book of Numbers is wandering. Instead of what could have taken 2 weeks to go into Canaan it took 40 years. And so 40 years later, another generation grows up in the wilderness. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the next generation of kids, those of us who are parents, and the next generation grows up. And these and, and Moses is like, "Okay, you've got a chance." To to get into the promised land. God is going to bless you. He wants this for you. You can go over the edge if you just trust him, if you just obey him, if you just give him your heart. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. Um, We're all on the edge. I I believe that. We're all on the edge of, of experiencing all that God has for us. What will help us move forward? What will help us? What's holding you back? To experience all that God has for us, we must undergo a change of heart that enables us to know and love and obey God. Let me share with you my big idea today, and those of you who want to write it down, go ahead. True faith, Christian, true Christian spirituality is more than rituals or creeds, more than just rituals and creeds, more than just spiritual highs and lows, busyness and church activities. True Christian spirituality is a way of life. That flows from a regenerated or circumcised heart. We're gonna unpack that this morning. What is a circumcised heart that knows the person of God personally? I'm sorry, I should say this, say that again. Knows the character of God personally. That's where it all starts. It starts with a relationship. And this generation that was delivered out of Egypt, they saw the works of God. But they never allowed him to change their hearts. They never embraced his character. And God said, you're not gonna enter the promised land. And even Moses blew it, you know. in the last time, he just lost it. Just lost his anger, he misrepresented God. And God said, you're not gonna make it into the literal, physical, promised land. But here in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is saying, no guys, now your kids, he's talking to their kids, the new generation. And he's saying, you guys have gotta trust God. And it's not, you're not gonna be able to do this. You're gonna need a change of heart. So let's pray. God, I pray in Jesus' name that we would want God to change our hearts. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you came not just to to live a good life, a perfect life, but you came to die and to rise again, to defeat sin, to defeat um, that stubbornness within us that holds on to sin. God, you made it possible for us to become new people from the inside out. So Lord, I ask as we look at this uh, passage today, Father, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and that you, whatever it is that's holding us back, I pray that you would reveal that to us and show us, Lord, where we need to trust you, where we need to submit to you, where we need to know you, God. Father, I pray that you would call people's names this morning and that we would respond. Today, if we hear your voice, Lord, I pray that we would not harden our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I hope you're, uh, you've are you turned in your Bible to Deuteronomy 10. I love being inside, obviously, because I can put things up on the slides, but then that also kind of like it spoils you. It makes us a little bit lazy. I, I've, uh, we're going through a theme right now, at the edge right now, and we're, we're, we're focusing on how all Scripture is inspired by God and his and uh is, is profitable for teaching, for training, and correcting. And we're challenging our students to actually bring their Bible to church. And I'd like to do the same for you. Um, as we start this new series next week, I encourage you to bring your Bible to church. And if your phone is your primary Bible, um, bless your heart. You know, go ahead and do that. But if you have a Bible that has pages that you can write in, I encourage you to, to bring that as well, and that would be really helpful. Uh, let me give you three points that are not on the screen, that are just going to give you an outline kind of of where we're going. Uh, the basis is the person is the character of God. Let me give the basis, the beginning, and the business. And I'll be honest with you, I got this from Michael Barrett. Uh, the basis is the character of God, knowing who He is. That's what that's that's the foundation. If you don't know who He is, you're always going to be approaching God or hiding from Him or thinking He's one thing and He's not another. I think it was somebody who said, um, you know, God made us in our image, and then we uh, we 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 paid Him back the favor, and we we did the same thing back. To him. And we we, we and we return the favor. That's what the phrase is. We return the favor. And I was talking to a millennial not too long ago, and they were like, Yeah, that sounds really cool, you know, reshaping God in, in, in my own image. I'm like, no, that's like the essence of sin. <laughs> yeah. But that, that's our culture today, you know? God made us in our image. Okay, well, I'm gonna make God in my image. That's Romans 1. That's like that's the problem. Um, So the basis is the character of God. The beginning of any change in our relationship with God is inward. And that's so important because most of us, when we think about changing things in our lives, we think of outward actions, don't we? If I just do this, then this will change. And it's true. Sometimes, I like what C.S. Lewis said. He said, you know, sometimes when you start actually loving people, and acting like you love someone, those feelings grow. And there's a lot of truth to that. But in Christianity, the beginning of change is inward. It starts with the heart. And that's what verse 16 highlighted, if you have your Bible today. Verse 16 is really the crucial verse in this passage. And then the last one is the business. The basis is the character. The beginning of change is inward. And the business of the Christian life is pervasive. It it, it reaches to all of your life. And this is what I mean by going over the edge. Most of our students, their biggest struggle, and it was mine as well, is to let God in to every area of our lives. I used to do a fun illustration where i take a phone, i take a, a textbook from school, i take a picture of, their fam- of, our, of your family, i take all the things that represent the different parts of who you are. And then I would say, Jesus is like living water. <laughs> and, and uh, I think it was Pastor Bill who, who mentioned John 7 on Friday at, at, at the funeral and, and, and I feel like this is kind of like, like this with our lives we're, we're, we, we give God a little portion of our life but we're not willing to give, it, give him all access to all areas of our life it's kind of like that illustration of the house with many rooms and I, I'll give Jesus you know, my kitchen but he's not going to be Lord of the bedroom he's not going to be Lord of what I do on watch on TV you know, he's not going to be Lord of every other area of my life. So that's where we're going today. A couple quotes. Number one, Martin Luther King said, faith is taking the first step even when you don't see the whole staircase. To go over the edge means to trust in and to put your faith, not blindly, because you believe in the word and the character of God. That's your object. But it is taking the first step. I like that our, our program uh, is called Next Steps. And I hope you guys will all be a part of that. C.S. Lewis had a quote, and he was kind of referring more to people here. But I want you to look at this, and it's a familiar quote and related to, um, to your relationship with God. Because some of us hold back from loving God. To love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. I don't know about you, but I can't be vulnerable with God until I realize how much he loves me. Martin Luther said this, The wicked say and confess, talking about him, I am a monk. I serve God with vows and ceremonies. Because of this, he will give me eternal life. But who tells you that you thus are worshiping the true God when he has not commanded these things? Therefore, you have made up for yourself some God who wants these things. Although there is no true God who requires this or who wants to give eternal life because of this, what then are you worshiping except an idol of your own heart, whom you think the righteousness of your works pleases? And then this is my favorite one Larry Crabb. Anybody ever heard of Larry Crabb? Boy, back in the 80s and 90s, a book that really revolutionized my Christian growth was Inside Out. Anybody remember that book, Inside Out? Highly recommend it. Um, I don't even know if it's still in print. Look at what he said. I think think this is actually from that book. Change from the inside out involves a steadfast gaze upon our Lord that's life-changing because it reflects a deep turning from a commitment to self-sufficiency. Without repentance, a look at Christ provides only the illusion of comfort. And then finally, uh, this, uh, this passage that we're looking at, the, one of the first phrases, it was, what does the Lord ask of you? Did it remind you of Micah? Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. All right, let's, let's unpack this. Number one, what does God require of his people? Look at verses 12 and 13 for this. Uh, He gives uh, five things here. He says, fear God, walk with God, love God, serve Him with all your heart, and then obey Him in all your ways. All right? The first one is fear God. Uh, Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Uh, What does God require of us to fear Him? What does that mean? Now, you've got to remember the people that He's speaking to. He's speaking to people who are coming out of paganism, many of them. They're surrounded by, uh, by other cultures that have plural, plurality of deities, many of whom they fear and they feel like they have to appease and they feel like they have to sacrifice. The, the Canaanites were known for sacrificing their babies uh, and, at, at the altar of Molech in different places. And you know, then in the New Testament, you got the idea of the Greek gods. It's like, you, know, you, you never know, they're capricious, they're, they're, they're out there. And so the first command, though, is to fear him. What does that mean? What does that look like? The Bible says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Psalm says, with you, O God, there is forgiveness of sins. Therefore, you are feared. Fear is a deep reverence for God. I know that the people of Israel feared God in the terrifying sense, which is healthy, I think. <laughs> you remember, they wouldn't go up on the mountain. They never wanted to go up. Moses, you go, you go, you go. You go in the tabernacle. You know, you go up the mountain. We don't want to go. But then while he was up the mountain, what did they do? They didn't fear God at that point. And so their, their fear was only in the moment of being in his presence. To fear God means to allow him to, to permeate every area of your life. Not in an unhealthy, like, he's going to spite me, he's out to get me, but in knowing who he is and saying, okay, because I fear God, I'm not gonna do certain things. And it's, it's more like I revere him and respect him. It's not like, oh, I'm afraid he's gonna shoot me dead if I do this. Now, I think we could use a little bit of that, and I, and I tend to agree with Francis Chan that we've watered down fear of the Lord too much. But I, the idea here is a deep reverence. Um, children know that their father has complete power over them, but unless they do wrong, they don't need to worry. If he's a good father, they will instead know that he has their best interest in mind. They don't need to walk on eggshells, but rather in confidence. My father is big and strong, but he loves me. And so I will fear him in confidence, doing what is right in order to please him. Paul says, likewise, in 2 Corinthians 7, he says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. So there's a deep reverence for God that says, you know what, because I know he's holy. I like to compare it sometimes to, um, you know, again, I, I worked in student ministry in all my life, and, uh, you know, a lot of times when kids are in the church, they'll be like, well, I'm not going to swear in the church, you know. And if I, if I threw up an R-rated movie right now, you know, you probably would feel a little kind of awkward, and some of you would, like, send an email to Pastor Dell and I, you know, hey, that was inappropriate. But here's the thing. Some of us, you know, and a lot of the students that I work with, will swear all day outside of church and will watch a lot of stuff that does not please the Lord and outside of church. And that's missing the fear of God here. What he's telling the the people of Deuteronomy, the people of the Israelites, is fear of God encompasses all of your life. It's not just like when you're going up the, the mountain or in the tabernacle. It's a reality that says that God is everywhere. And that my and I'm I'm held, I'm going to be held accountable someday for everything I do and say. Uh, the second one is walk with God, and it's interesting that Scripture often says this. You know, even in the New Testament, walk by the Spirit. It's interesting that you know it's the idea of you know walking. It goes back to the Garden. Remember when He was walking in the Garden with Adam and Eve? There's this idea of just the idea of having a relationship. Uh, the Lord is placing Israel in a land promised to their fathers. Their fathers were promised it based on faith and thus the people were to be people who walked in faith. Look at the third one. It's, it's love God. And we know that that's the key one, right? Matthew 22. G, uh, one of the experts in the law came up to him and said, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in all the law? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these commandments. The most important thing is to love God. And then he says, um, serve God. And he says it with all your heart and with all your soul. And the Hebrew understanding, heart is, um, is, is the seat of reason and understanding. It's not just you know, your affections, but it's your mind. It's everything. It's all of who you are. That's the Hebrew concept of heart. And with all your soul, the soul is what animates a person. It's the drive behind his actions and the strength he possesses. To serve the Lord with all of one's soul is to expend himself in the service of the Lord. And so Moses is saying, hey, go for it. Don't hold back. Don't stay on the fence. Have this relationship with God that is dynamic, that is fully engaged. The last one is obey God. He says keep his commands and statutes. This refers to the highest level of obedience. And you've, heard, you've seen me do this many times, you know, but I'll do it again because it's good and I think you need to share it with others. I'm not going to obey somebody I don't love. You know, it's just too hard. It's too difficult. I mean, you can do it, but it doesn't last very long. You know, one of the reasons why I'm sharing with you this uh, passage today is because I actually got it from my daughter. Uh, my daughter is uh, at a school right now and uh, she's over at Baylor University and she, uh, she has a Christian scriptures class. And she calls me on Monday night and says, Dad... I got this passage, and I got I to explain it, you know. And It, he, it was literally this passage. I got to explain it to the professor, and, I, and what is the essence of the law? And so we just started reading it, and I started trying to help her unpack it, you know. And the idea there was, you know, it, it's about relationship. It's about the heart. And I told her this story, and it, 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 I believe it's a true story, but, you know, there was a woman who was married to a guy who was like a taskmaster, and he always was constantly like, telling her what to do. And it became like this tedious, burdensome relationship. Don't raise your hand if you're in one of these relationships right now. But if you know what I mean, you know, you you could say, but this guy literally had a list of all the things he expected his wife to do. And she felt like she never measured up. She never lived up to that list. And she was always trying to please him because that was the right thing to do. You know? Well, guess what happened? This guy actually passed away uh, at an early age and I'm not gonna tell you she rejoiced, but um, I will tell you that she, she remarried a few years later. And, uh, and the, the guy that she remarried was the exact opposite. I mean, he loved her, he cherished her. And one day as she was cleaning the house, she comes across that old list that her previous ex-husband had of all the chores that she was supposed to do. And guess what, she looked at it and she's like, oh my goodness, I am doing all of these things in relationship now to my new husband. And it's just second nature. It's just out of love. That's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. And that's the kind of relationship that God wants to have with our heart. So you're not gonna obey somebody you don't love. You shouldn't love somebody you don't trust. You can't, you know, you get into real unhealthy relationships there. That's why it's good to know the person's character that you're dating, not just their personality, not just having things in common, but their character. So you're not going to obey somebody you don't love. You're not going to love somebody you don't trust. You're not going to trust somebody you don't know. And you're not going to know somebody unless you spend time with them. Okay? And that's, that's why the call this morning is to go with, this way with God. Spend time with him. I'm glad that you're here this morning, but I want to encourage you. The most important part of your Christian life is not what you do here on Sunday. It's what you do during the week with your time alone with God. We call it the altar, uh, the private, your, your private world. Uh, if you've never read uh, Gordon MacDonald's Ordering Your Private World, that was another uh, book that in- influenced me back in the 90s, um, that uh, he fell. He was a minister who fell into sin. And he realized that he was running on empty, living the Christian life with a spiritual tank that was empty. But he was so talented and so gifted, he was able to get away with it for a while. And then things came crashing down, which often happens. So uh, what, that's what God requires. Why does God require this? Let's look at verse 14 and 15. Would you look there with me? Why does God require fear, love, serve, obey? Look at this. It's interesting. It's it's amazing. And this this is what makes Yahweh so unique. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. So immediately he goes back to what the basis is. Do you remember what I said earlier? What's the basis? The character of God. God owns everything. He belongs to everything. Several times in this passage, he's going to emphasize that God is the God of gods. Why is he doing that? Because the Israelites are, have got, are surrounded by people who have other gods. You know, we think our pluralism is bad, you know, with our money and our sex and our greed and our status and our power and our materialism. But they had literally surrounded by people who said that their God was God's. That's why Elijah had all these battles later on. So, Look at this, to the Lord. So he says, why why does God require obedience, fear, love? Because he owns everything. He has a right to it. Now look at verse 15. Yet the Lord set his affection on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Where does it start? Where does loving God and serving God start? realizing how much he loves us. The Israelites needed to be realized. Remember, this is a new generation. And I can't explain exactly why at the end of this passage he says, you saw with your own eyes. They probably did maybe when they were kids. But this is 40 years later, and a lot of these people hadn't seen all the things he did in Egypt. These are the kids he's talking to. All right? And, and he's, but he's reminding them that God has chosen you. And, and the emphasis here and, and elsewhere is, You alone, of all the people in the world, he chose you. And he didn't just choose Israel to like because you're my favorite, but he chose them through everybody to bless everybody. So they're they're a conduit. And in the New Testament, we know in, in Ephesians, it says that God chose the church. He chose us before the foundations of the world to know Christ. There's a sense in which God chooses us. And the point of this is, why does God require this? Because he loves us. In fact, it even says at the beginning here, it's, uh, and I didn't read it, at the end of 13, what does it say? I'm going to pick on you guys. Who's got their Bible open? Interactive sermon time. I, man, so many of you are staring at me. I love you. I wish you, I wish you had your Bible. Um, what's the end of verse 13? He says, for your, own, for your own good. All these commands are not for me. That is so different from the other gods that are around them, of the, of the other cultures around them in the ancient Near East. It was all about to please that God, because that God must be pleased, because it's all about him and his, his own selfishness, and you never know if you please him enough. No, he's saying, All these commands I've given you are for your own good. It's like Gandalf, I'm not trying to harm you, <laughs> I'm trying to help you. And, and Bilbo won't, won't let him have the ring. All right, let's move on. Where are we going? The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, verse 15. It's so powerful. All right, great. We're done. How about that? Let's get a new set of papers here and we'll move on in life. See, like, yeah, there's a Bears game, Tony. Yeah. One of the saddest days of my life was the first day I ever preached a sermon. First time, Jefferson Park Evangelical Free Church. The lady, right before I got up, said, just be short. don't keep us here. I'm like, really? Is that why you came? All right. Number three, what it takes to fulfill what God requires. This is the key verse, verse 15. Take a look at it. I got it in three different versions. The NIV says, uh, circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. The NL, uh, the, uh, I like the ESV. The ESV says, circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, That helps us understand a little bit, kind of relates it to circumcision. And be no longer stubborn. And then the NLT just kind of does, just like punts big time. Uh, and we, we did this on Tuesday night with our students, and our students had an NLT verse in, in our trios. And they're, they're like, yeah, it just says change your hearts and stop being stubborn. Because <laughs> I was like, what is circumcision? <laughs> what does he mean here? You know, like, and the kids are like, it just says change your hearts. <laughs> so that, that's kind of, if you understand the versions, NLT is, makes it really simple. Um, but uh, the phrase here is circumcise your hearts. And uh, let's unpack that, let's unpack that for a moment. Uh, Just as physical circumcision is cutting away the foreskin, spiritual circumcision is cutting away stubbornness. I don't know about you, but I have like major stubbornness. And sometimes my major stubbornness results in unbelief. And unbelief in stupid things, like, um, you know, I have to just mention this, my Dodgers are one game out of 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 winning the division, even though we have 105 wins. And the Gi- they're chasing the Giants. And I have a friend who's a good friend of mine who's, a big, who's from San Francisco and went this weekend to the Giants games. He's, he's going to be at the game today. He was at the game Friday night. And he has texted me. He's the biggest encourager of the world. Uh, some of you know him, Scott Phelps. But, uh, and, he, he, and so he's encouraging me to believe that the Dodgers can still tie this thing, even though he's a Giant fan. And we got down 5-1 to one to the Milwaukee Brewers who are really good this year on Friday night. And I'm like, I'm going to bed. I'm going to bed. And I was really tired on Friday night anyway, you know, from a long day. It was a pretty exhausting day. But I, I just, And I said, you know what? I literally texted him, congratulations, you won the division for the first time in 10 years. Had to throw that in. Um, but, uh, but he's like, no, Tony, keep the faith. And, and they won. And then last night, he's like, the, the Giants lost. And then the Dodgers won again, you know. But uh, I share that with you because I'm still not going to, I still don't believe. I still don't believe we're going to do this, okay? I just, I just lack that, that. I'm stubborn sometimes in my unbelief. And that's in a stupid thing, like sports. But some of us are stubborn. We don't really believe God can do things. And what he's saying here is you need a change of heart and to stop being stubborn. Uh, what does this mean? Charles Eliot said, uh, Ellicott said this, Circumcise the foreskin of your heart, and ye will harden your neck no more. That would be comparable to Galatians 5. Which says, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's an interesting connection uh, there. Um, uh, In Acts, you remember uh, Stephen said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. So do you. I would hate to be someone like that. What is circumcision all about? For those of you who don't know the Old Testament, it was supposed to be a sign of the covenant, something unique. And it was meant to be in the Abrahamic covenant, no strings attached. It was an unconditional covenant that God said he's going to bless Abraham and his descendants and us. He's going to send forth through, 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 through Abraham's seed, the Messiah. And it was unconditional. He walks through. Only God walks through this, this the, the, in the Genesis 17 in the in the, uh, the, two, the two things. Instead of in every other Ancient Near East culture you both walk through to say this is a promise we're both making and God puts Abraham asleep and says no I'm making this promise to you unconditionally So this rite of circumcision was made a part of the law of Moses several hundred years later When God gave instruction concerning the birth of a male on the eighth day the flesh of his foreskin shall be shall be circumcised the practice was continued generation after generation but guess what when the Israel nation was forced to wander 40 years in the wilderness, circumcision temporarily ceased. So guess who he's talking to? A bunch of people who, especially the, obviously the males, who are not circumcised, okay? This is why in Joshua chapter 5, I think I have this verse for you. <laughs> the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelites again, okay? Okay? So these, these, these people that enter into the promised land are going to be circumcised, and they're not children being circumcised. So that's a painful reality. But what's the idea here? Um, the idea here is not that God wants to hurt his people, but he wants them to be set apart. He wants them to know that this is the sign of the covenant that you're trusting. And Deuteronomy 36 says that this is not just a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. And Deuteronomy 36 says this, and I think we have it on the, up there. Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul in order that you may live. Now, who here is doing the circumcision? Look at that. Who's the subject and the object here? It's God. God is the one. So in verse 15 of our text today, or 16, he says, circumcise your hearts. But later on, he says, no, the Lord will do that. Let me, uh, let me unpack this a little bit more. Um, We can't circumcise. What's he talking about? The foreskin of our heart. All of us have sin. All of us have this problem of a stubbornness of heart that we cannot change on our own. Uh, Isaiah 64, 6. We had some fun in Equip a few weeks ago. I think uh, Paul, our intern, put this up on the board. For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. By the way, that word filthy garment, anybody know what that really says in the original language? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the menstrual rags. And so, you know, don't bring that up with teenagers, but Uncle Tony did. Not a good idea. Um, but, but the point of this, of this passage is, is, you know what? Our righteous deeds, all the good things that we do compared to God's holiness are, are filthy. We're not good enough. So Christianity is not about me changing my heart. It's about me surrendering to a God who loves me, who set his affection on me, and who came into the world and died for me and rose again, and I'm going to surrender to him. And the the question is, am I going to be stubborn and hold on to my heart, or am I going to give it to him? Look at what uh, Leviticus says. Leviticus says, But if they will confess their sins... And the sins of their ancestors, their unfaithfulness and their hostility toward me, which made me hostile toward them so that I sent them into the land of their enemies. Then when their uncircumcised hearts are what? Humbled. And they pay for their sin. I will remember my, and by the way, pay is uh, serve the, the, the consequences of it. I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham and I will remember the land. So what is God saying here? He's saying there's a humbling that needs to take place to say that I need circumcision. I need cleansing. You know, as long as we keep comparing ourselves to each other, we will never go to Christ for cleansing because you'll always think you're either better or worse. You know, and that's one of the problems with religion. That's one of the problems with man-made, you know, religion sometimes in church in America is we we look, oh, well, I'm not as holy as the pastor or I'm not as as pious as this person, or I am doing better than this. Oh, gosh. You know, so wrong. We need to compare ourselves to a holy God. The essence of humility is seeing ourselves as God sees us. And he doesn't hate us. He loves us. He created us good, but he recognizes that we're filthy, and we just need to go to him. I like what it says here. It says, um, if they will confess their sins, their unfaithfulness, and their hostility toward me. You know, apathy is, is also a form of hostility towards God if you're apathetic towards God, that you're still an enemy with him. We need regeneration. And that's the point. That's what circumcision is. Remember uh, David? What did he say in Psalm 51 after he had sinned? Create in me a, a clean heart. It's up on the board. Psalm 51. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David, a man after God's own heart, prayed for God to cleanse his heart. And the last one is Colossians 2. This is the New Testament circumcision. This is where Paul brings this all in together. Would you look at it? See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ He's addressing the New Age movement, which is really not new. It's an old, it's an old from the the Garden of Eden. Don't be captive on human tradition and and spiritual forces rather than on Christ. Now look at what he says. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And then verse 11. In him, in Christ, you were also what? Circumcised. With a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. He's speaking here of a regeneration, which is the, the most awesome miracle. It's the miracle that you and I really don't believe. I think some of us, it's easier for us to believe the resurrection than it is the regeneration. Because regeneration says that here I am, I am a stubborn, rebellious, or apathetic person. I am not interested. You know, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. And regeneration says that God... Does something to my heart so that where I used to not believe in him, not want him, be apathetic towards him, now I want to serve him. Now I love him. It's a change of heart. And I think a lot of times we don't believe that because we see people who are Christians fall. And we're like, oh, and we get it mixed up. It's not about the outward behavior. It's about the inward change. It's the the, the process that Christ is changing. But when you put your faith in Jesus, when you said, let me finish this passage and I'll explain this to you. Verse 12, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal in indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. When, you, when we humble ourselves and recognize that we need a Savior and we go to Jesus and we repent and we believe in Him, there's something that happens, that happened at the cross but also happens in our lives where because of what Jesus did, we are, we are reborn. Jesus said this to Nicodemus, remember? Unless you inherit the... Unless, Unless a person is what? They will not inherit the kingdom of God. Yeah, born again. And that term has been misused and and misaligned, but it's so important. Are you born again? I've been asking our students that. Have you been regenerated from the inside out? We created a Christianity in the 80s and 90s where people could say prayers and get fire insurance and think that they're saved. And in reality, they may not be. One of my favorite pastors, J.D. Greer, wrote a book called Stop Asking Jesus Into Your Heart <laughs> because he, he had done it like several times himself. And it was, you know, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's the humility and the confession and the, and the trust stepping over the edge and putting your faith, your life in his hands. And then God rechanges you. All right, um, let's, let's wrap this up here. The fourth point is the result or the overflow of a changed heart. What does it look like? Look at verses 17 to 22. He goes back to the person of God. For the Lord your God is God of, the God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, the mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality and accepts no bribes. This is a great memory verse. because the, 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 Why do we need to know this? Why did they need to know this? Because all their cultures had different, different gods. And did those gods accept bribes? Yeah, they did. And it was all about manipulating and getting your way. And that's how a lot of American Christianity can be. It's all about if I just come to church, he'll bless me. You know, if I do the right things, then things will go my way. You know, That's so pagan and it's so off here. So the point is, is to recognize how great he is. You know what's interesting about that word, the great God, mighty? It's El Gabor. And it's only used in the New Testament in, uh, predominantly in Isaiah 9 where it says, Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father, and Mighty God. So this is, he's speaking the same word. He's talking about who God is. He's going them back to God. Now look at what verse 18 says. What does this God do? Does he give a rip? He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. That's the kind of God that we serve. The God of gods cares about the broken, the lonely, the homeless, the foreigner. And so when when he touches you and he fills you with his love and regenerates you, what's what's the outflow? Look at verse 19. And you are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. Don't be exclusive. Don't be cliquish. Reach out to those in need. This is an interesting passage right now where we're at in our culture right now because there's a lot of things happening at the border that most of us do not agree with. But you know what? When they're here and they're living here next to you and around you in your schools, in your neighbor, what's our response to be? You are to love those who are foreigners. For you yourselves were foreigners in Egypt. In the New Testament, we were aliens and strangers until Christ brought us in. So he says, fear the Lord your God and serve him. He, this is the ending. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. He is the one you praise. He is your God who performed for you those great and awesome wonders you saw with your own eyes. Your ancestors who went down into Egypt were 70 in all. And what he's talking about is Jacob. When Jacob uh, went down to Egypt to avoid the plague in Genesis. There's just 70 of them. It got down to 70. And now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars in the sky. Wow. Because of what God has done, the overflow is that we should go out and be like him. I want to share a quick story with you and then I'm going to wrap up here. Um, I got two that are really great, but I'm just going to do one. Fantastic story about an atheist that became a Christian uh, in Australia, hardcore atheist, and she had Peter Singer as her, uh, as her um, professor, and uh, she wanted to go to Cambridge and study history, and she realized that Christ, she came to America and she saw Christians living it out, and it transformed her. But that's not who I'm going to talk about. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, uh, Catherine Jackson. Catherine Jackson was in a life group, okay, at her church. And she's just like, you know, she, 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 she saw her community, she saw refugees in need. And, uh, and she said, you know, they, they, these women were coming to her to improve their English skills, to earn income, and become more independent. She shared her ideas with her friend in her life group, Amy, and pretty soon her and Amy had an outline for this ministry that became, became Hope Threads, an educational workforce program for refugee women. But Hope Threads wouldn't only meet physical needs. It would be a unique opportunity to share the gospel. A lot of these women were Muslim. And form meaningful relationships with women in their community. The prospect felt daunting since all the women needed childcare for this program to work. Kind of like uh, Next Steps today. We need childcare. Uh, yet God provided for this need through the two former teachers who organized the children's curriculum while the women took sewing classes. God also provided sewing machines, fabric, and other supplies through many people from their, from their church. And in July 2018, Hope Threads launched their first six-week beginner sewing class for refugee women. They organized their first pop-up shop in a local park a few months later and sold out of all their products. Since then, they have started selling in local boutiques and doing more pop-up shops in the area. They're helping these women who are refugees to succeed. Hope Threads is a flourishing program where women take ESL classes and learn to sew and and crochet baby products like teething toys and, and burp cloths. Their children learn Bible lessons while they work, and they are seeing God do more than they could have dreamed. This is what Catherine says. You look through Scripture, and what what is Jesus doing? He's meeting with the Samaritan woman. He's meeting with and healing the leper, and he's with those that are on the outside, and he's bringing them in. That was his ministry. When I'm thinking through my life and how I would want to be like Christ and want to be like Jesus, I can follow what he did. She says, even the word refugee can be very polarizing for people who, who, with all the politics going on right now. She says, but I'll be honest, I don't, sometimes, I, I, I don't sometimes know how I feel about that, but what I do know is that they're here and they're my neighbor and we are called to love them and to help them. And I feel very passionate about that. Again, his entire ministry, Jesus, whole, while, while he was on earth, was to bring in the outsider. And that's what God called Israel to do in the book of Deuteronomy. A primary goal of Hope Threads is to provide a steady income for the women in the program. One of them, Roya, received her first paycheck ever. She had tears in her eyes and she was just beaming. "said Catherine, it's a huge step in independence for them." Another woman with three young sons has the goal. Has the goal of uh, of opening her own tailor shop, just like her mother. In addition to job skills, the women also have a time to pray for one another and read scripture. Catherine said at the first, the women were were hesitant, but relationships are forming. I've learned a lot about just loving people where they are, she says, about being patient and trusting the Lord. Many of these women were Muslim, so their exposure to the gospel has been miraculous. She says we just want them to feel loved and not that they have to go to church and be a Christian. Catherine encourages others at her church to step outside their comfort zone and seek out relationships with people unlike them, all so the gospel can be shared. I've been, I've, she says, I've been given so much so that I can give in return. What a blessing. What a blessing that is. Uh, just to you know, That's what happens when the basis becomes the character of God. You allow him to change you, transform you, and you allow him to change your heart. The overflow is you want to reach out, and you want to share, and you want to do that for him. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that your love is, uh, Never ending. I thank you God that you are a God that set your affections on us. I pray for anybody here today who's wondering whether you love them or not. I ask God that you would bring them back to the cross and what you did for them in Jesus Christ, in Christ alone. God, I pray for those of us who are going through the motions, me included sometimes. Forgive me for not privately spending time with you to nurture my soul. I pray for the inward change that all of us desire. That we would seek you in the in the quiet place. You have called us higher. Change us from the inside, Lord. And Father, I pray that we would, that we would be about the business of loving others the way Jesus did. I pray that we would overflow, uh, and that we would be able to reach out. And it might not be to refugees, but it might be to whoever Lord puts God puts in our part in our in our in our lives, God. I pray that you would help us to love them the way you loved us. Thank you again for, uh, for Jesus. I give you thanks. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's worship the Lord. Would you stand?